We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This podcast is sponsored by Freedom Mortgage, dedicated to veterans and their homeownership needs. Visit freedommortgage.com. NMLS 2767. Equal housing lender. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Monday, January 8th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is back in the producer chair after a little bit of a vacation. And coming up on today's show, well, it's a good one. Of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> We're going to talk to, well, our own Caitlin Kenny already talked to the War Horse. You know the War Horse, right? They are a wonderful news organization out there focusing on military and veterans issues. And right now, they're focusing on one of the big issues facing society as a whole. That is sexual assault and other sex-related crimes. They have a new project called Zero Tolerance, the Defense Department's decades-long failure to end sex crimes in uniform. And Caitlin Kenny spoke to the author of that project. And we're going to play a little bit of that for you coming up in a little bit. Later... We're going to talk to a very special guest. He's a retired Navy warrant officer from a little uh, thing you may have heard of before, the United States Navy SEALs. Yeah, he served on SEAL Team 2 and then over 20 years on Dev Group, Special Warfare Development Group, which is, well, it's a very interesting aspect of the Navy SEALs. But that may not be the most interesting thing about Boyd Renner. You see, Boyd is now partnering and co-founded Endeavor Life Sciences, and Endeavor Life Sciences is doing something really fascinating. They are allowing you to put DNA or other materials similar to DNA into ink to be used in tattoos, so you can keep someone or something with you for the rest of your life. We're going to talk to Boyd about his career in the SEAL community, and we're going to talk to him about his time with Endeavor Life Sciences and Everance. It's the name of this new tattoo project. But first, welcome back, Mr. JQs. How are you doing? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love my vacation, and it's like the reason you go on vacation is to recharge the batteries. You know, yeah. we work for however many months straight, all oh, you know, five days a week, and I finally get two weeks off with the family, with my dog, with my niece, and just to relax. And so I feel energized and ready to go. But at the same time, I'm back at work, <laughs> and, and I, even though I love my job, it's. It's still work. It is. And you get to do cool things here. More cooler than a lot of people. At least you're not out there. I don't know. What would the worst job be? What's the worst job that you could think of having to do? Right now, anything outside in D.C. Yeah, that's true. Anything outside anywhere in the eastern two-thirds of the United States. Right. It's been a brutal weather period. And I said to you, hey, man, you picked the right time to go to Houston. A little bit warmer down there than it was up here. Because the two weeks you've been gone, it's been averaging about 10 degrees every day, <laughs> if that. But as you pointed out, even in Houston, you guys weren't safe from cold temperatures. No, nah, it was down in the 30s uh, during Christmas Day and Christmas Eve. But then, of course, today is supposed to be like 70. So, you know. Your first day back here, and it's going to be beautiful down there. Oh, 70, yeah. like 70 to 75 degrees is the temperature I want it to be all day, every day. 
Now, see, give me like 65 to 70. I like having a jacket on. I could take 65. I could do that. But I think like seven. Well, I keep my house at 73. That's the temperature we set it at. It's nice. Although it's been so windy and our place doesn't seem to, you know, we're renting a townhome. It doesn't seem to be uh, windproofed because you'll be sitting in there and you'll be like, there's a little bit of a breeze coming through here, trying to figure out where it's coming from. And I think it's just been so windy and so cold. It's just been oozing in around the windows and the sliding glass door. We do have a fireplace and it's one of those gas fireplaces, you know, where you turn on the things and it's, it's not real wood in there. It's like, I don't know what it is. Metal of some sort. I imagine I thought those were always for decoration. No, that thing heats up the room. Oh, really? it warms the room. My wife will just sit herself down in front of it. She and my son have been having like picnics in front of the fireplace because <laughs> it's been so, so cold. Um, this weekend, it was brutally cold. One of the coldest weekends on record in the Northeast. Uh, and I was supposed to be out hunting. I actually talked about it last week on the show where I was going to go with Rob Jones. Uh, listeners of the show know Rob Jones. If you don't, he's a, a double amputee Marine, lost both of his legs to an IED in Afghanistan. Since he came home, hasn't slowed down. He's actually sped up, you could say, in riding his bike across the country, running 31 marathons in 31 cities in 31 days. And we were going to go out hunting with him and retired SEAL Don Shipley, another friend of the show. Don basically brings wounded warriors and uh, terminally ill youngsters out to his property on the eastern shore of Maryland for hunting. He had said to me last week, early in the week, man, we're going to earn it this weekend. And I thought to myself, a, a retired Navy SEAL senior chief is telling me like, oh, this is going to be bad. <laughs> That really gave me like, oh boy, I I was prepared. I ordered new uh, gloves that are actually mittens that you can put uh, one of those little hand warmers inside of the mitten and then the mitten flips up so that you have fingers. So if you're, uh, you know, if you're out hunting as we are going to be for geese, it didn't happen this weekend. Uh, You you can still operate your firearm and everything. Um, Don called on Friday and was like, uh, or Thursday, Friday morning, I guess, and was like, I don't think this is going to be a good idea. It's going to be very cold. They got a lot of snow out there. So those of you who are expecting to hear about uh, the fun hunting trip with Don Shipley and Rob Jones, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. It looks like it's going to happen this coming weekend, uh, like Sunday, Monday, something like that. So next week, we'll be able to tell you about that. We're bringing a video camera out there. We're going to have a great video of it. But yeah, I, j- that that was kind of a bad omen when you have a retired SEAL senior chief saying, yeah, it's going to be tough out there. Yeah. You're like, this guy <laughs> thinks it's going to be tough. What am I going to do? I'm just going to be huddled up in a fetal position in the, yeah. in the, in the goose blind. But we're going to uh, be able to do that and be able to bring you some great video from it. It's just going to be a little bit delayed. Let's see what else has been taking place around the military. One big thing that took place over the last few days, Jake, actually down in your home state of Texas, was the Student Veterans America Student Veterans of America National Conference. They had their national huh. conference down there. It's the largest gathering of student veterans uh, in the nation. Tons of them down there. I saw a ton of stuff coming out of it on social media. And one of the things that happened down there is they named their Student Veteran of the Year. He is Chris Rolfe, who is currently a senior at Queens University at Charlotte. He's the 2018 Student Veteran of the Year. And this is a guy, you know, served in the Air Force, did his thing, and now is doing his thing as a student. There were 120-plus nominees, nine selected as finalists, and Chris was the one who was chosen. Uh, Jared Lyon, SVA's president, told Military Times that it's an acknowledgement of the work that Chris has done. 
uh, and an investment in that your journey is only getting started. And that's the thing. Student Veteran of the Year, that's fantastic, but it is just the beginning. It's like, all right, you're on the right path. Now let's see what else you can do. So give him a, a little bit of that uh, impetus to keep moving forward. So congratulations to Air Force veteran Chris Rolfe. From what I'm seeing here, it looks like he was a senior airman in the Air Force there. Uh, and at least for a time station in Africa, in Niger, a place that we've talked about recently. Oh, uh, yeah, it's not the most fun place right now. No, it's not. So apparently he was over there. So that's that's what took place down there, along with a lot of other great stuff. Uh, you had former politicians, celebrities, all sorts of great people speaking to uh, the student veterans who were gathered in Texas. I think it was in San Antonio. Uh, and really just a lot of great stuff coming down there. And Student Veterans of America does a lot of great work for the student veteran community. I actually, at my school, I don't I don't believe, I could be wrong, but if there was a Student Veterans of America chapter, I wasn't involved with it just because I was, you know, I had a family and everything. I was at school when I when I was in class and when I was working at the radio station. Other than that, I had to be home with my family, so I didn't have a lot of time for that. But they are doing so much great stuff around the nation. If they were at my school, it would have been greatly beneficial for me to uh, have gotten involved with them. So if you're out there and you're a student veteran, go check out SVA. Look at all the good stuff that Jared and Barrett and the rest of them over there are doing. Um, they, they're working tirelessly for the student veterans out there, and they've made a lot of connections over the years. So that allows them to help out even more. Now, Colonel Daniel Murray an Air Force officer who was commanding the 62nd Medical Squadron at Joint Base Lewis-McChord in Washington until he wasn't. You see, in September, Colonel Murray's leadership was taken away from him. That uh -oh. command was taken away from him. And Military Times, Air Force Times specifically, has the story on that where they are talking about concerns about favoritism in his command, terrible climate and low morale, palpably negative, and... They say it was exacerbated by his talk about religion and poorly explained decisions, such as, get this one, extending the duty day by an hour. Just like that. that that's mutiny. Hey, hey we're going to work you an know. extra hour. Why? Just because the religious talk, though, that's something that we've seen quite a bit of. And, and I didn't really witness it very much during my time in. I didn't have any commanding officers who, uh, who talked openly about that stuff. I, many of them who were religious people, but didn't uh, include that in their command decisions and didn't include that in the command climate. But it, it seems that there is quite a bit of that taking place out there. Did you ever come across anything like that? Not specifically, but it, it it's weird because when you're a person of faith, you know, your faith influences your decisions for one way right. or another. The trick is with the military, you can't let it overly well, okay, what's how am I trying to put this? You you can't let it of undue influence over your command decisions. And so that's probably where he went wrong is he was a little too open about it. Hmm. Yeah, he was removed from command September 21st by the commander of the 62nd Airlift Wing due to loss in confidence in his ability to lead and command after uh, right around a year that he was serving there. Um Let's see what they have. The The public affairs uh, spokesperson, Master Sergeant Shonda Deonda, uh, told Military Times and Air Force Times it would be inappropriate to comment on the specific allegations. 
However, during his tenure, a series of investigations occurred, which, rather than reveal a specific event warranting removal, demonstrated a pattern of ineffective communication and failure to foster a healthy command climate that contributed to an overall loss of confidence. That can have far-reaching effects Mm -hmm. because he had a year in command there, which may not sound all that long, but think about it this way, Jake. Let's say some young airman has just left. Uh, isn't it Lackland? Isn't that where their boot camp is? Basically? Uh, yeah, I think so. Lackland Air Force Base. Let's say some young airman, fresh out of boot camp, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and ready to do great things for the Air Force. That's the command they show up to, and everybody hates it. Everybody's working an extra hour on the duty day, which I don't, I don't get that. But uh, can you imagine how that could affect someone's outlook and how you may have had some people who would be great contributors for a full career or for many terms to the Air Force who now don't want to be any part of it because of this guy? Yeah, it's it's sad, but it also this whole situation, I think, is a net positive because toxic leadership has been a problem historically in the military, uh, depending on where you go. And it's a poisonous command ruins everything. Because not only is it your outlook on the military, it's the way units cohes, unit cohesion suffers. Because you can't have confidence in your leadership as far down, even as your first-line supervisor, because they have to follow the orders of the senior commands, which are given bad orders. As far as the religious aspect, apparently it is more likely than not, according to the investigators, that he stated there are no atheists in foxholes during his very first commander's call in October 2016 uh, and regularly expressed religious beliefs during commander's call, according to the people who were stationed there, which, you know, even for some people who are religious, they don't really like to hear that. There are people who, who really believe in that separation of church and state and that separation of church and the military. Um, but, yeah, there's there's some uh, some issues going on there. Birthday cards with Bible verses distributed in the squadron. I mean, it's uh, it's really interesting stuff. But I think when you look at how this could affect the veteran community, it's the same way that it could affect those young airmen going there for the first time for their career who, again, may now leave the Air Force after having such a rough time for that first year. It could almost poison them towards the military. Then they get out, and you know who they become? They become those veterans who are just always crapping on the military. Got nothing good to say about it. Yeah, I was in the military, and it was this a bunch of Bible-thumping you know, uh, lunatics who are favoritists, and they got all this other stuff going on. It can have far-reaching effects. Even one year, it can have a ripple effect that lasts for a generation because of the people who were, were under that command and had those negative perceptions of that person, of that command, of the military in general because of it. Yeah, and you you got to know that these people, if they ever have even so much as one slightly negative encounter with post-military benefits, like with the VA or something, oh, yeah. it's again, it's they're going to be those people that, oh, the VA is crap, they never do anything right, and it's just, it's... It's toxic to the mil- to the veteran community because it makes people lose faith in the VA. And as we've talked about on the show before, the VA has done some bad things, but they also do a lot of really good things. And if you're only concentrating on the bad, it just it makes people un- not trust who they're getting their benefits from. Yeah, and it's personal experiences that that tend to. Uh change the perceptions of individuals and then those individuals talk to other people and it does there seem to be a correlation between people who had a rough time in the military and have a rough time with the VA sometimes, but not always. There are some people who are extremely uh, 
happy and proud to be veterans and just have had negative experiences with the VA. And when you have something bad happen to you, it, it usually causes you to speak up. Again, when I was going to the VA for medical care, I only had one issue. But you know what? When people ask me about my experiences with the VA, that issue comes up. You talk about the bad things more than you talk about the good. If everything's going smoothly, you don't have a reason to really speak up about it. So when people have something negative happen, they get louder about it because they're angry about it and they want people to know about it and they want it to be fixed. The The problem, I suppose you could say with that, and I don't really know if it's a problem, is that other people will hear that squeaky wheel that needs the grease and needs the oil to add the issue, they'll hear them and they start hearing so much of that that it becomes their full perception of the VA, of the military, of the Air Force, of a command. I mean, I, I saw, I was at, let me try to think how many commands I was at where I would say there was a negative command climate. Not as bad as, as everything that was alleged to have take pla taken place at this place. Uh, when I was in Greece, there were concerns that the command was didn't really care about the sailors that were there. Essentially, the command master chief, who uh, was not the greatest while I was there, I guess is the best way to put it. That they made rules where you know you if you were in full uniform and went to the little miniature exchange that we had there, it was a tiny place, the size of like a Seven Eleven, basically. You'd go in there in full uniform to grab lunch or whatever. If you didn't have your ID card with you, they wouldn't let you get anything there. Really? Yeah. There were less than a thousand people. You have a local national working there. And then the local nationals that weren't supposed to be shopping there at all, they'd be allowed to go right in front of you in line. And when you asked the, the command about that, they were like, well, don't worry about them. Worry about yourself and get your ID card. It's like, come on, man. I'm the one who's allowed to be shopping here. It's clear who I am. I'm an American in uniform during the working day. You're not letting me shop. It, it, little things like that even can build up and cause problems and other things like that. Uh, and then I was on a ship, which I've talked about, which yeah. was just <laughs> both ships I was on were kind of negative, negative commands uh, where you had the commanding officer of one ship during a tiger cruise, which is where you're allowed to bring your spouse or your parents or uh, friends on board the ship for like a, a weekend, essentially. And you'll travel from, I think in our case, from New York down to uh, New York, down to Jacksonville. I think it was no New York to Virginia. That's what it was. New York to uh, Norfolk. And the commanding officer put out the word that you are not allowed to bring your significant other. The commanding officer then brought their significant other. Ah, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa! What's going on here? And, that, and it was, it was not a good thing. And again, that whole command was just people were dying on the ship. It was like it was a brutal place to be. But even through all of that, I was able to keep a, a positive outlook on the military in general and compartmentalize those issues. But I guarantee you there were people who served at those places with me who that was their only command and they just hated it and they got out and now they're probably not not going to be speaking very highly of the military and that's you know not what we want to see in the veteran community. You're right. I had one experience with the uh, toxic leadership and that was my first unit, the first the, I first got out of ice training. I was at uh, Fort Riley, Kansas. I'm not going to name the exact, the exact unit, but at the time, I was a young soldier struggling to get it, we could say. I hadn't accustomed to the military life yet, and I, what I needed was a patient, gentle hand, someone that can walk me through the process. Instead, I had leadership that just saw fit to smoke the living dog crap out of me and then call it a day, said, there, you learned your lesson. 
Yeah. And it just, it did not help. It wasn't until I got to my second unit that I realized, okay, oh, okay, this is how it works. And I flourished from there. That's uh, sometimes what it can take. And there, listen, different things work for different people. Yeah. And I, and I admit that. And again, I can openly admit looking back, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was that guy in the unit. <laughs> I, I can openly admit that. But the way they handled it was not what I needed. And I think that's the important thing about leadership is knowing who is underneath you and how to help them. Because yeah. if you say someone, oh, they're just, they're worthless. They're, they're beyond help. Just smoke them and they'll be good. That's not the right answer. You know, there are good and bad leaders out there. And some of the best leaders that I came across were those who adjusted how they led, depending on mm-hmm. who they were leading and what they were doing. You know, when you're at a, uh, like a recruiting command, it's a little bit different than being at an operational command. And and I had a command master chief there who adjusted to that. He was a Navy CB by trade, and they're pretty hardcore people, if you know anything about the CBs. He adjusted to uh, this, this new place, and that's what a good command master chief or command sergeant major does. They realize where they are, what the best way to go about getting the mission accomplished is. But you also have other people who... And, and you'll see this. Let's use that command master chief that I had there. Uh, Jim Griffin was his name. Fantastic guy. Perhaps the best master chief uh, I came across in the Navy. He was fantastic. But what if he had been like, no, you know what? We're going to do this the way CBs do it. And that probably wouldn't work at a recruiting command. It's right. different goals for the mission, which is kind of like the last ship I was on where you had a lot of people from the submariner community, submariner, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> they, uh, they, wanted to do things the way that you do it on a submarine. Well, we're not on a submarine and this is kind of messing things up and you know, you, you, you see the difference. And when you look at it in hindsight, you think to yourself, boy, there's a couple of people who, if they had just changed the way that they did things a little bit and adjusted, it would have made not only my time in the Navy better, it would have made everybody's time at those commands better, would have made them more likely to stay in, would have made them more likely to be you know, happy, willful contributors to the team and not just counting down the time and the days until you leave. I mean, I remember, again, on that second ship I was on, uh, out in Guam. The Frank Cable? The Frank Cable, where I volunteered. Hey, we need somebody to go to Afghanistan. Yes, me. Get me off this tropical (laughs) island and send me to a war zone. That's how much I don't like it here. Um, Where we had a master chief who shall remain nameless who decided that uh, field day on a Friday was not done to their liking uh, and would make the all of the petty officer first classes, so the LPOs, the the deck plate leaders below the chiefs, they would uh, they would stay behind and have to clean. And she had us there cleaning until like 10 p.m. on a Friday. Wow. We were first classes. We know what clean spaces look like. They were clean. This was just spite. This was just trying to make us angry. We had a first class there who was just about to retire who was like, I I thought he might break down. I thought he might take a swing at somebody. He was so angry about it. It was just, you see things like that and you see bad leadership. Do, do you think seeing bad leadership makes you appreciate the good more? Or do you think seeing good leadership makes you despise the bad more? It depends on what you experience first, I think. If you have been at a good command and that, that really worked with you and where you really were able to flourish as a service member, and then you go to a place with bad leadership, then you're like you're prepared and you're like, okay, this place is horrible, but the military as a whole isn't necessarily that bad. Yeah. But if that's your first 
experience in the military of having people that just don't care or people that are favoritists or people that like this colonel we're talking about that influenced let their religion influence their decisions too much or added an extra day to the work day which that um, I, I was almost I was almost kidding about the mutiny part. <laughs> Almost an extra hour on duty is is every day. See, that's the kind of thing where I thought there were when you're when you're not again not in a combat zone, not uh, doing specific operations. That adding extra hours to the workday could only be temporary. You couldn't do it like all right. Well, this is we're working an extra hour each day, and yeah, when you're in the military, you're on duty twenty four hours a day. But you just got to look at the optics of it from the people who are working for you. Especially if they already don't like you. That's going to be a rough yeah. time. I had a commander, uh, uh, the CG of Fort Hood, while I was there, actually instituted, uh, he took family day seriously. So every Thursday at 1530, soldiers were gone. To the point where if he would walk around and at 1545, if he saw a soldier on duty doing something, that whole command would be in his office. Wow. He, he took it seriously. Also was very serious about doing as little work on the weekends as possible. And you know what? We flourished under that. Yeah. We were able to get the mission done to standard even faster because we knew the command took care of us. Using the uh, the example of that Master Chief on board the Frank Cable where it was like, well, why are we going to bust our butts clean in every on a Friday when we know we're just going to be kept here? until 9 p.m. no matter what you know she's going to find something that that that's going to be a problem and yeah it's 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 very interesting to look at it in retrospect and it's uh, uh thankful that i don't have to deal with it anymore that's yeah, really right. what i really what i don't like <laughs> where it's not like it, when you're in the military it's not like you can just one day say like you know what i'm out of here man don't want to do this anymore it's my two weeks notice and i'll be taken up you can't do that i turned that in in like 2003 and they never got back to me <laughs> you're listening to the morning briefing speaking of getting back we'll be back in just a couple minutes our own caitlin kenny speaking to the warhorse about their new sexual assault program check it out helping military veterans stay connected we make it easy we are cbs radio's connectingvets.com connecting vets every day online and all over social media facebook youtube instagram and twitter at connecting vets Welcome back to the Morning Briefing, Monday, January 8th, 2018, kicking off our first full week of fully live programs. It was great playing Best Ofs, but I'm glad that we are now back to talking to those guests that we enjoy so much. Coming up in just a little bit, Boyd Renner, retired Navy SEAL warrant officer and co-founder of Everance. What's Everance, you ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's a new company that's using brand new technology to include DNA and other items in the ink used for tattoos, thus allowing you to take the DNA of someone important to you or something else. Like, I don't know, Jake, you're wearing your new World Series Champs 2017 Houston Astros hat that you clearly picked up while you were down on vacation, right? Best gift I got for Christmas. There you go. It is a, it's, an, it's, a, it's a lovely hat. It would look nicer if there was a New York Mets logo in there. <laughs> Colors wouldn't even have to be too much different. But hey, what are you going to do? Um, you could actually take like some of the infield dirt from, what's the name of the stadium down there? Uh, uh, Minute Maid Park. Minute Maid Park. I was going to say Comerica. That's Detroit. I know it's Detroit, but eh, whatever. <laughs> Minute Maid Park, you could get some of the infield dirt, and they would be able to basically break that down, put it in the ink, and you could get a Houston Astros tattoo with uh, the infield dirt from Minute Maid Park in there. I, I, 
Okay, I know we're not supposed to, like, down-talk the people we're going to have on the show, but that just seems unsanitary. No, it's not. They have doctors and scientists. who. He's going to explain it to okay, you. Okay, yeah. Got I, a, this one, I need to hear the explanation got, before I got make a, comments. Uh, they've got a good team over there, and it's, you know, particularly when you talk about the DNA, we're going to talk to Boyd about his particular story and why uh, he's so happy to not only be the co-founder of this, but also to take part in it, and that is that his his wife who he says is the strongest person he knows is dealing with uh, an illness that will, because of uh, it's cystic fibrosis, if you know anything about cystic fibrosis, this illness will eventually end her life. She will not live as long as someone without cystic fibrosis would, essentially. I mean, cystic fibrosis, it's a lung issue. It gets gradually worse, and it's just, it, it, it's it's a horrifying thing that, uh, I know a little bit about because when we were uh, when we were going to have our son, one of us tested positive for the uh, one of the genetic markers for cystic fibrosis, and then both of you need to get tested to see what the likelihood of it is. It's it's a horrifying thing. But uh, while he's enjoying every moment that he has with her now, he also knows he's going to be able to put her DNA into a tattoo and take that with him for the rest of his life. So mm-hmm. uh, a very very interesting thing, and we're going to talk to. Retired Warrant Officer Boyd Renner about Everance coming up in just a little bit. But there are some questions that people would have about it, like you. Like, why would I have the infield dirt of, eh, I don't know about that. Well, we're going to get to ask yeah. him directly. Well, I need to withhold judgment before I hear the full explanation. <laughs> I apologize. That's okay. Uh, of course, you should check us out on our website, ConnectingVets.com. A lot of great stories, features, interviews, opinions, all of those things on there, all of them wonderful, as well as this very show. You can go to the podcast tab on there, and each day when we're done, one of the things that Jake does after we get off the air, if you're ever curious about what happens when the microphones to get turned off, Jake takes this program, edits it down into uh, typically two podcasts. It'll have the VSO that we usually have in the middle section of the program uh, as a standalone podcast, and then the first half hour and last half hour, the feature interview and news discussion as another podcast. You can go on there and download those every day. But on a day like today where we don't have a VSO coming in, it's probably just going to be one long hour and a half long podcast like it was on Friday where we talked to Jeff Zazulowitz of Navy Times, uh, and we also spoke to uh, the great people from We Serve about their Veterans Day concert Here's something I learned last Friday, Jake, while you weren't here. What's that? Magnum P.I. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah, it's, uh, oh my gosh, don't tell me. Uh, uh, it's, uh, okay, no, not not Burt Reynolds. Uh, no, but uh, uh, mustache, though. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, he's on Blue Bloods right now. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember his name. Uh, this tell is me. fun. I'm just going to leave. His head looks like it might explode right <laughs> just now. Just tell me. Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck. Army veteran Tom Selleck. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. Again, we do a radio program focusing on veterans' issues in the military, and I know a lot of the veterans who are out there who are kind of big names. I know, oh, yeah, that guy was in the Marine Corps. That guy was in the Air Force. That lady was in the Army. That lady was in the Navy. I had no idea, but Tom Selleck did serve, actually, I think for like six, seven years, uh, and he was uh, in the Army, National Guard specifically. He is going to be hosting the We Serve Veterans Day concert that's going to start November 11th, 2018, and is going to become an annual thing, essentially. And he's, uh, I believe, tied in to host the the first couple of them, which are going to be broadcast on uh, AFN as of now. We'll keep an eye out uh, to see if those are also brought to something other than AFN, because I don't know. 
I've actually, I spent a lot of time working for AFN, although I predated, I worked for Naval Media Center before the Navy was brought into the AFN fold uh, as well. I don't know if there's any way to watch AFN outside of overseas. I would think because of the issues with contracts and TVs where you get those commercials and everything on there. By the way, I have a great idea for a video for our website that I'll talk to you about later. Would you be willing to have coffee thrown on you? Is it hot? Well, we could be cold. Okay, sure. cool. We'll, we'll set it up then. I've got a good idea. The <laughs> AFN stuff, man, uh, you know, there's there's contractual reasons and they get the programming for free essentially because they don't air commercials. Like the UFC fights, we used to get those for free. The pay-per-views, that was donated by the UFC essentially. They would give a free feed to, I think, to build their audience and because they knew they had a big following in the military. But if you talk about something like Blue Bloods with Tom Selleck, that's airing on AFN, Atlantic, Prime, whatever. They probably have 20 channels by now. I remember when there was like two, AFN, Atlantic, and Pacific. And then they brought in Prime and then they brought in something else. And then uh, there were, Kids but, these days with all the AFN channels. Yeah. By the time I left, there were like 12 channels there. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing. But that concert, the Veterans Day concert, is going to be broadcast on November 11th, 2018. And they also have scheduled for 2019, 2020. Uh, and then, you know, going on after that. But Tom Selleck, Army veteran Tom Selleck, we'll have to see if we can get old Tom on the show. That'd be awesome. Yeah. We'll be a lot light and nicer to him than Rosie O'Donnell was. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? I remember hearing about it, yeah. He was, uh, he's, uh, I believe, uh, an NRA member or at least a gun owner and went on Rosie O'Donnell's daytime talk show when she had that. And boy, did she go off on him about being a gun owner and how irresponsible it is for anyone to own guns and blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah, I'm not particularly a fan of Rosie O'Donnell for things like that, as well as her. (laughs) So we talked about, I am an MMA fan, mixed martial arts. You enjoy it as well. You've been over to the house to watch the UFC fights. I've also worked in the industry, both reporting and calling fights. Her brother is a um, state assemblyman in New York, which is kind of like, you know, state Senate, Congress, that kind of thing. Her brother is one of the people who fought, very hard to keep mixed martial arts illegal in New York. It was the last state for it to be legalized, and her brother was not happy about that. So that made me not like him, but her. That's a whole other thing of yeah. why I don't like Rosie O'Donnell. She's just an unpleasant person uh, who, yeah, the Tom Selleck thing is really the first memory I have of like, I don't really like that she did that. Before that, I wasn't a huge Rosie O'Donnell fan, but you know, she wasn't someone that I disliked. Yeah, it was I just like, like her, hey, it's Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah, I her in some movies, like uh, like A League of Their Own. Another Stakeout with uh, Emilio Estevez and Richard Dreyfuss, <laughs> the <laughs> most unnecessary sequel, well, of that of that year, I would say. There have yeah. been a lot of unnecessary sequels. A League of Their Own, she was fantastic oh, in yeah. that. Oh, I love that movie. That's a great one. Tom Hanks, Madonna, Rosie O'Donnell, Lori Petty. Yeah. Whatever happened to Lori Petty? Last I saw of her, she was uh, involved with some horse racing she was in commercials for like a national horse racing league or something like that. This was a long 15 years ago, probably at least. Yeah, I don't know what happened to her. Gina Davis. Oh, yeah. A lot of great people in that movie. Yeah. Anyway, we've gotten way off track. Yeah, what are you're, we talking about again? You're listening to The Morning <laughs> Briefing here on Entercom's ConnectingVets.com. Again, check us out on ConnectingVets.com. Follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. That's the best way to be kept up to date on all the fantastic things that we are doing. And we're not the only people doing fantastic things, Jake. There are other organizations out there working to shed light on things within the military and veteran communities. One of them is the Warhorse. 
You familiar with the Warhorse? Uh, I am now. Yeah, they've got a great website, and they're essentially a news publication. Lots of great features on there. Uh, founded by a Marine Corps veteran and doing a lot of great work to take a look at some stories that might not be covered by other outlets because it just doesn't seem that important to them, but certainly does seem important to the military and veteran communities. And what the Warhorse is doing now is something that I think might get some attention from outside. You see, because from Harvey Weinstein to the new Time's Up movement, sexual harassment and assault in the workplace are a growing topics of discussion in America. The military has also had several sexual misconduct scandals over the decades. Our producer, Caitlin Kenny, reports on a new journalism project from the War Horse trying to bring more awareness about military sexual trauma. The nonprofit newsroom, The War Horse, which investigated the private Marines United Facebook page last year, has a new project that is documenting other military sexual scandals. They created an interactive timeline that chronicles these scandals going back almost 40 years. I spoke with their reporter, Andrea Yanata, about the project. So this project arose out of some previous reporting that I had done for The War Horse on misogyny in the Marine Corps. Um, While I was reporting an earlier series about Marines United, the photo sharing scandal, my editor and I wanted to include examples of that would illustrate that this was not a one-off event, that this was something that was part of a culture and had historical context. So with that piece, we included some of the more infamous events, but we saw that there was really a lot more that had been forgotten or a lot more that was less well-known and that this was something extensive and ongoing that reached back for several decades. The timeline includes scandals across the military branches as well as the service academies. It also shows how leaders in the military and Congress reacted in their aftermath. During her research for the project, there were a few things that surprised Yanata. One thing that surprised me was that many of these scandals were happening in the same place repeatedly. So you look up one scandal and you find reference to another. For example, uh, I had in my files the Fort Leonard Wood scandal, and then I had to add 1996 because there's the 2008 Fort Leonard Wood scandal um, on the same base. And you have the academies coming up repeatedly. They hope the timeline will be used for understanding military sexual trauma, as well as to be used as a tool for change. We really want this to be as complete as possible so that people can use it to understand the issue and the context and historical background that has kind of led us to where we are. We're hoping that it can be used as a tool for people to push for change and show this this is what has caused change in the past and this is what hasn't worked. Um, and we're hoping that it can also help people step away from the immediate, you know, scandal-based reactions and look at the um, entire culture and in stepping back and see kind of the pervasiveness maybe attack it in a fresher way. You can read the full story and see the timeline at ConnectingVets.com. I'm Caitlin Kenny with Connecting Vets. Thank you, Caitlin, for that. And thank you, Warhorse, for the work that they're doing to bring attention to this. It's something that 
You know, has been an issue clearly for a very long time, Jake, because in this story, military sexual assault, a detailed timeline of sex crimes in the military, dates back to the year of my birth, which, as we all know, is almost 40 years ago. Oh, geez. Ugh. 1979 to 2017. And I mean, it starts with Baltimore Sun bringing national attention to military sexual harassment. You can click through all of this, and it's really it's fascinating isn't the right word horrifying but it is it's fascinating to look through and see like oh my goodness all this stuff has gone on and i remember certain cases like this one november 7th 1996 the aberdeen proving ground scandal do you I remember, remember that, one? that yeah yeah we were in high school around the time you you may have been still in middle school because yeah probably you're a little bit younger than me but the army had uh, three male drill instructors uh, have charges filed against them including accusations of rape forcible sodomy harassing female recruits under their supervision the army set up a new hotline this is 20 years ago 22 years ago now I mean, it's a long time ago, and you would think when you keep having issues like that or issues like tailhook, if you remember that scandal from even earlier, that's I was in like middle school then, I think, for tailhook, so you might have been a bit too young. Uh, it was a Navy Pilots Association. Tailhook, of course, is you know the hook on the aircraft. That, that catches on the carrier. Catches the catch line on the aircraft carrier, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was uh, at their like, national conference, and there was basically just – large-scale sexual assault and sexual harassment and all sorts of horrible things going on. A drill instructor pleads guilty in Fort Leonard Woods sexual assault case in 96. I mean, you can go through, just looking at 1996, Department of Defense publishes second department-wide survey of sexual harassment. More Aberdeen scandal continues to unfold in 97. Uh, there's been so, so much of an issue regarding all of this. I'm glad to see the light being shown on it. And now as part of this wider movement with the ridiculous amount of this, that's gone on apparently in Hollywood. I mean, as, as Caitlin said in the intro there, Harvey Weinstein, that guy was a sexual assault ep epidemic in and of himself. It would appear right. allegedly. Um, but there are just, just a lot of issues going on still to this day. Social media has become an issue where you have that, uh, Marines United. We all know about that mm -hmm. one where Marines were sharing photos of their fellow Marines unclothed and various memes and other things that are pretty horrifying, uh, and upsetting to a lot of people. It, it's something that needs to be addressed. And I don't think it's as effective if it were addressed by, USA Today, the New York Times, someone who's maybe even a military reporter, but when it's coming from, from the war horse, it's coming from an organization founded by veterans, staffed in large part by veterans. These are people who know of what they speak, and it's a little bit harder for the veteran and military community to uh, downplay what they're saying because they are veterans themselves in many cases, and looking at this you know, with their oversight, with the oversight of the leaders of the war horse looking at this project. I mean, it's, it's important. Yeah, and reading the article, like you said, it borders on fascinating and horrifying is that in 2016, almost 15,000 service members were sexually assaulted in some way, shape, or form. Now, that could that varies from... What? Did I get it wrong? You're shaking no, your head. No, I didn't yeah. shake my head. Okay, no. sorry. I was reading something else. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, but I mean, me. that could vary from, you know, uh, uh, the, the good old boy pat on the bottom to full-blown rape but the fact that it's so prevalent it speaks to the the culture of the military and the fact that it's very it's like a ship it takes a long time to correct the course yeah 
It does. You, you, it it you should be able to turn it around. And I say that because you know, thirteen years in the Navy, and I never committed any sort of sexual well, assault, sexual harassment, sexual favoritism. None of that going on. I treated everybody the same. Treated them. They were all equally worthless to me, as Arlie Ermy put it in exactly. Metal jacket. I of course don't mean that by any stretch of the imagination, but. Some of them, but not all. Yeah, well, boy, you know, we've (laughs) talked about that before, how not every veteran is a great person, uh, you know? (laughs) There are some people who would say I'm an example of that. But when we get to the level of sexual assault, sexual harassment, you're talking about criminal acts. Apparently, from what you see here, happening at wide scale in the military, even if you didn't see it, doesn't mean it wasn't happening. And I, I saw some issues of people being charged with things and being like, Oh, that's kind of surprising, but apparently not that surprising because it's happening on a larger scale uh, than, than we know. Yeah. And I, on the first six years of my career, I had very little experience. Well, okay. Experience the wrong word. I had very little, uh, interaction with that sort of thing. Cause I was always in all male units. Mm. And so I was a tanker as combat arms. But once I transitioned over to becoming a broadcaster, that's a, a mixed gender career field. It really became clear that, you know, and and it's not just, again, we have to say it's not just female soldiers or service members. No. Males can be sexually assaulted, sexually harassed as well. Oh, yeah. The problem, you know, and it's just, but as far as for, for female goes, it's a real worry for them. And I had no idea the first couple of years of my career that it was something, I don't want to say prevalent, but something that is a real worry for some soldiers yeah and it's not something that you should have to worry about exactly enough stuff that you have to worry about within a military career you really shouldn't have to uh you shouldn't have to worry about sexual harassment sexual assault uh, sexual anything it shouldn't be an issue i don't understand why it is and that's the thing that's so confounding i guess when you look at stories like this when you look at a story like uh, louis ck for example looking at the celebrity world a comedian who i saw perform live i saw him uh, in new york city one of his specials that he taped it was actually uh, a special that he ended up uh, became big news because he ended up marketing it himself selling it himself making all the money himself a guy who was uh well-respected in the comedy community then you find out that he's also doing these really weird perverted things behind the scenes and he go, well, it's so confusing because you're like, well, who would do that? You wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. But some people would. Yeah. Kevin Spacey, he's one of my favorite actors. I thought yeah. he, he's an amazing performer. And then to find out the stuff he did back in the day is just like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because we have to admit that it's more prevalent in Hollywood. There are, it's like a higher concentration of scumbags. Is it, is it or is they, are they just under a bigger microscope than everyone else? Because there are bigger names. Yeah, yeah. Because let's look at, uh, let's look at the world of, let's, let's think of another world where there is uh, a lot of power held by a small group of people. Uh, let's say in the world of law lawyers, is there a lot of this going on there with their uh, paralegals that work for them and things like that? And no one, cares about it or sees it because who's a famous lawyer johnny cochran i mean they're lawyer right i think because of the microscope that hollywood is under it maybe becomes a little bit more apparent to people i don't know that it doesn't go on in every other industry clearly it's going on in the military although again as 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 i would say okay guys i don't know if we're good guys we're okay yeah. even okay people 
don't do things like this. They would never consider something like this. But then, you know what? There are people out there who do, and you need to realize that just because you aren't doesn't mean that someone else isn't as well, yeah, some and, sort of predator. And the problem comes in as far as not sexual assault, but well, even uh, the minor forms of sexual assault is where it's sometimes it's things where they've never been taught different. Like like I said, the good old boy pat on the bottom, you know, that that's a thing that happens in certain in sports and in certain combat arms teams, and they don't see it as a problem. Yeah. And so it's... And the military has been a higher focus on teaching that these things aren't right. And so I like to assume it is getting better, but seeing that statistic of 15,000 service members is just... That's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot. When you look at the number of people uh, currently serving in the military, 15,000 is uh, a sizable number. And again, they always say this, and it's hard to prove, but they say that it's underreported. Most crimes are underreported. However, a lot of people think that sexual assault, sexual harassment, things like that are more underreported because of the fact that some people think of it as not just a big deal. Not sexual assault specifically, but things like different things that could be considered considered sexual harassment that some people don't think twice of. And in the military where it's something that may have been kind of common practice in years past, but you know what? Times change. A yeah, th- bit. things like dirty jokes. I mean, I mean, oh, yeah. I'm not. I will fully admit I have a very a very healthy repertoire of inappropriate jokes, but it's the problem comes when again people have just didn't know that it's not okay to say stuff like this because you never know what someone has experienced, what they've gone through in their lives, and how it might affect them. Yeah, it's really. It is, as you said, uh, fascinating is is maybe not the right word, but it is certainly interesting, certainly mm-hmm. something that needs to be addressed. And what the War Horse is doing with this program, uh, again, I keep saying program, this story, this interactive story done by Andrea Genuda, it is fantastic. And if you want to check it out, you can look up Zero Tolerance the war horse's new story. And if you just Google zero tolerance war horse, it's the first thing that comes up. And again, so much, so much that needs to be done. It's great to see that there are people out there doing great things uh, to bring attention to what is a serious, serious issue. And again, for those of us who like to think of ourselves as the good guys or the good ladies out there, we need to do our part to address it, to make sure that this stuff stops happening and that it's not an issue going forward. Is it ever going to be 100% wiped out? No, I don't know about that, just because of human nature. But you can make it so that 15,000 isn't a number that we're even thinking about, let alone talking about. Exactly. There will always be scumbags, but the goal is to reduce their numbers. Yep, and point a big, shiny finger at them when they're found Mm -hmm. and not let them continue on with a little uh, slap on the wrists or something like that. No, this needs to be dealt with. And the war horse doing their part, and you know what? We need to do our part, too. You're listening to The Morning Briefing here on Intercom's ConnectingVets.com. Coming up, we are going to talk to Boyd Renner, retired SEAL warrant officer, co-founder of Everance. Jake asked some questions about Everance. (laughs) We're going to get those answers from Boyd about his career and more coming up on The Morning Briefing. Don't forget, at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets.
Welcome back to the Morning Briefing. It's Monday, January 8th, 2018. Hopefully that New Year's hangover is gone for you. Definitely gone for us. Our first full week of live shows of the new year, bringing you the best, latest, and greatest from around the veteran community. Speaking of which, go to ConnectingVets.com. That's our website, and that's where you can see all of the wonderful stories, videos, features. Everything that we're doing is located on ConnectingVets.com. And the best way to be kept abreast of what's going on on the website, well, follow us on social media. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you do a little click on the mouse, a little tap on the phone or the iPad, what have you, you will be living your best life as a veteran because you will be kept up to date by our team which is comprised solely of veterans and those very close to the veteran community. How close? How about a military spouse like our own Caitlin Kenny, who you heard from in the last half hour? Yeah, we are veterans. We understand what veterans need, and we're trying to get that to you as well as we can through ConnectingVets.com and our social media pages. Our next guest is retired Navy Warrant Officer Boyd Renner. Boyd grew up in a one-stoplight town in Colorado before joining the military in 1988, eventually going to Butts and graduating with Class 164 before serving on SEAL Team 2 for four years and then over 23 years at Naval Special Warfare Development Group, a.k.a. DevGrew. During his career, Boyd would rise to the rank of Master Chief Petty Officer before transitioning to Chief Warrant Officer in 2010. Boyd served over 28 years in the Navy before retiring this past November. During those 28 years, he completed 10 tours in Afghanistan, two tours in Iraq, as well as deployments to Albania, Sarajevo, and to the Arabian Peninsula. In 2014, he graduated with honors from St. Leo University with a degree in business administration with a focus on technology management, which, as you will find out, is very closely tied to what Boyd is doing right now. He's currently pursuing his master's in project management at Penn State University and in his spare time works as a consultant, a contractor, and a partner with Endeavor Life Sciences. Please welcome to the morning briefing, Mr. Boyd Renner. Boyd, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, sir. I got to tell you, your bio makes me sound way cooler than I really am. I got to tell you. I don't know about that. That is a pretty cool bio. I mean, over 20 years at DevGrew, four years on SEAL Team 2. That's interesting stuff, as is Everance, which we're going to talk about in just a few minutes. But first, I gave the bio there a little bit, but let's talk about Boyd Renner. You know, as you said, grew up in Colorado, entered the Navy in 1988, and did 28 years before retiring. Looking at your military career, as you look back on it, what do you remember most about serving in the world's finest Navy? I guess it's uh, like most of the guys out there, uh, men and women, they remember, you know, all the deployments kind of, they all kind of blend together. But what I'm started to miss the most and remember the most now that I'm out is the times I was actually away from my family. Uh, both my brothers were in the Navy. Uh, my little brother was a Navy SEAL also. My middle brother was a SWIC boat driver in the special warfare community. And although we were in the same communities, I bet we only saw each other about three times a day. So I remember that, uh, to be honest with you. I just remember being away from them, and now I'm trying to sort of reconnect, if you will. The whole military kind of blended together after a certain amount of time, and then you start remembering and regretting the times that you didn't have with your family. Uh, that's what came to mind first uh, when you asked that question. 
And of course, 28 years is a very long time to serve, particularly at the high-speed operation tempo that we see in special operations, such as the SEAL, such as SWIC, like your brother served in, which uh, for people who don't know, SWIC stands for Special Warfare Combatant Craft Crewmen. They're the high-speed boat drivers that are out there doing amazing things for Navy Special Operations. After 28 years, you retire and... I think for some people, they think of a Navy SEAL, particularly someone who's an officer or a warrant officer, as someone who's got all their ducks in a row, and when comes time to transition from active duty to retiree, everything's going to go smoothly for them. What can you tell us about your retirement and about how things went for you when you finally did leave the Navy? Well, I was fortunate in two regards. I was fortunate first because my wife was a CPA, and she kept me from all my money and decision-making power when it comes to <laughs> investing and, uh, and making sure I was taken care of. So in all honesty, the fact that she was able to keep me from buying that Harley Davidson and actually invest in my TSP, uh, you know, government program there, a 401k equivalent, um, and, and prepare me for retirement, that is what saved me the most. Uh, what I wasn't prepared for is, you know, after 23 years at, at Dev Group was, uh, you know, my last day I got read out of all my programs, uh, my security clearance. They, they had to read me out of these programs. And then I literally had to give my badge to a guard and get walked out of the quarter deck just like anyone else would. And, and at the time, I was the longest serving member there. But uh, when, I, when I sat on the quarter deck and, you know, I got all the flags and the memorial to our brothers that we lost right there, I had to reflect a little bit and realize that uh, the mission's actually bigger than the individual no longer, no matter how long you spent, spent at a unit. And I know you have people out there that were on their boat for 10 years or, or station or, or a sub. And next thing you know, you know, that train keeps going no matter how long you were on it. Uh, so I did. Uh, so to answer, that was a long answer to your question. The, the, the best thing that happened to me is I just rejoined a tribe as soon as I could. Uh, I rejoined a new program, a new company uh, that I really love. I got four or five of my brothers working it with me. And uh, so it was really no transition time. You know, I had SEALs working with me. We were starting a new company. It was, it was unique. Uh, it brings a lot to the community. And so that's what I would offer is just get out and join a new tribe and just, just come to grips with the fact that your old one's train is still moving. You know, and that is something that a lot of people do need to come to terms with, particularly retirees who it was your life for two decades plus. Uh, if you go and you leave that entirely, cut ties and don't have anything that you belong to or that sense of belonging, do you think that can be a, a big negative for our retirees who are leaving whatever branch of the service after two plus decades? Oh, no doubt. I mean, you're, you're, you spend 20 plus years speaking the same language, wearing the same four uniforms, um, waking up at the same time, knowing the routine, and then the next day, that Monday after your retirement, you're sitting there staring at your computer, wondering what you're going to do today. And you know and that that could just that could be hard on anyone. And it doesn't matter what they've been through in their deployments. Doesn't matter what they've been through, um, you know, in the combat tours. That next Monday comes around, and you realize you got to figure it out. And uh, the longer you stay away from a new tribe. You know, the more, uh, you know, the more down you could get. And uh, we see that today with, with our vets. We see vets, you know, not having that connection, not taking advantage of these crazy amount of benefits that we have, me included. I didn't know they were out there. And, and you just got to use those and find that new tribe, find that new goal in life and start, start from scratch. Um, use your experience, but start from scratch. 
And of course, we're speaking with Boyd Renner, retired Navy warrant officer, served for over 20 years with the Navy SEALs, including SEAL Team 2 and DevGrew for over two decades at DevGrew, 28 years in the Navy total. Now, you left and, as you said, found a new tribe, that being Endeavor Life Sciences, who has this new product, Everance, that we're going to talk about. But tell us about the company and how you came to be a part of it. Well, I, I, I got, like most events in one's lifetime, there's a little bit of luck involved. And uh, my, my transition to Endeavor Life Science and being part of this amazing team and product is no different. I just happened to meet uh, through a third, third party, this amazing individual that had this idea that he, uh, he got from serving our vets and serving our Gold Star moms. He was underwater one day uh, on his own dime, taking wounded warriors underwater, teaching them how to dive. And uh, the Gold Star mom goes by, and she's got a Navy SEAL trident on her leg. And uh, at that moment, he was, you know, in his mind, he wanted to know how he could turn that tattoo of hers into a reliquary. How can, how can she have a physical part of that memory or that experience in her tattoo? And at that moment, he came up with the idea for Everence. And by definition, Everence is a way to safely add DNA of a loved one um, safely to a new or existing tattoo. And uh, so I'll, I'll pause there because that's a lot to take in. But uh, that's that's what it is. And I'll be happy to tell you why it is here in a minute. Exactly. And Everance is a fascinating product. It's something that I first heard about a few months ago. And the fact that, as you just said, we'll be able to take the DNA of loved ones and add it into a tattoo that you already have or add it into a new tattoo. It's fascinating. And it's something that I think a lot of people will be very interested to hear. A lot of people will have a lot of questions about how it works. And and, and the, the we just had our own producer, Jake, earlier in the show ask about the, the sanitariness of this uh this new product but getting involved in that is certainly something that sounds really absolutely fascinating and sounds like it comes from a good place when you started hearing about what everance was and how this would be able to add the dna and add other things to tattoos uh, what did you first think when you first uh, heard of this new product well, to be perfectly honest, it didn't resonate with me at first at all. Uh, I don't know why it was. Maybe it was my wife being a CPA and telling me not to, but I never had a tattoo. I sort of missed that generation, if you will, of this uh, since 9-11 of, of our vets getting tattoos. I, I was already in the Navy for 10 years before then. So it didn't resonate at all. And then about four months later, uh, my wife has cystic fibrosis. Mm. So I've worked with heroes my whole life, but none of them compared to what my wife deals with on a daily basis. So we're at a doctor's appointment, and they told her her lung function test dipped below 40% for the first time. Well, on the drive home from, uh, from the hospital, that's when it clicked. That's when it clicked that I was like, okay, I'm getting my first tattoo. I'm going to get her lungs tattooed on my arm, and I'm going to put her DNA safely encapsulated into this tattoo. So, so her DNA makeup, her, her, what makes her my hero will be in my tattoo forever. And it'll be with me forever long after she's gone. Um, and that, that's the, that's the, so what everyone out there is going to have their, so what, what inspires them and might take a minute, might take next five months for them to think about what that is. For me, it's my wife. She's, she's run two marathons. She's, she's, she's a badass by all sense of the imagination. And now her tattoo, her lungs, her DNA will be with me forever. 
Really an absolutely lovely story there. You deciding that, you know, something that didn't interest you before in tattoos, now being able to add your wife's DNA into it has changed your mind on that. Do you think that this is something that might have that kind of effect on on more people, as you said, from your generation where tattoos weren't as big a thing? Do you think this might have that effect on more people where they might see it as, you know, a positive way to remember someone and take them with you at all times? You know, honestly, I wouldn't be part of it if it wasn't, because uh, I've seen vets with their tattoos. I've seen memorial tattoos for, for people I lost at my unit. Um, I've seen a lady that's a single mom that's going to work at a grocery store, leave her two kids. Everyone out there has got something that inspires them and something they want with them forever. And what's good about this product and that I, that I, that I pride myself and pride the company in is you don't have to add it to a tattoo. It can go right in the skin with the carrier solution and be completely invisible. You can just have the vial of the DNA and just put it on your mantle. Um, you can do anything. We've had a police officer that passed away f- uh, from cancer. He got it 9-11. He took the, the, the powder you get back, the safe DNA that's encapsulated, and he took it in his coffin with him of his three kids when he passed. So I think this will really help people stay connected to what's important to them. And uh, if it's a tattoo, great, uh, because that that helps uh, tattoo artists, that helps them uh, talk about it. But it doesn't have to be a tattoo. It can can just be on your mantle. It can, like I said, be in a carrier solution in your skin, and you never bring it up uh, to anyone unless they ask. So uh, I'm looking forward to what uh, people have to say about it. It's a very cool thing, this new Everance product that uh, is developed by a team that includes uh, doctors, Navy SEALs, tattoo artists. There's so many people involved in this. What can you tell us about the science of it and and how it actually came into being and and how it actually works? As I mentioned, our producer Jake was thinking, you know, that doesn't sound all that sanitary to me, but I imagine it has to be for you guys to be able to use it in this way. What can you tell us about that aspect of it? But, you know, thanks for asking, and that's that's definitely uh, uh, important. So what we do is uh, you get a saliva collection kit in the mail that you order off our website, everance.life, and uh, we get your saliva sample back to our lab. We extract the DNA just like any other 23andMe or Ancestry.com would do. And what we do is we, we take a strand of non-coding DNA, and then we amplify it. Basically, we cut and paste that non-coding strand. And then what we do through a patented process is we encapsulate that non-coding strand of DNA, which can be verified by any third-party lab that it's still you. Um, and then we encapsulate it in a polymer. It's the same polymer that's in a hip replacement or contact lenses or dermafillers. It's called PMMA. And we, we micronize it to a point that it stays in the dermis exactly like the ink does. So it's so small and it's so perfectly circle that the body doesn't attack it as a foreign body. It stays in the dermis just like the ink does forever, safely encapsulated inside this polymer. If you just picture a bucket of golf balls, but at the two micron level, that's what you'd get back in the mail. And then you take those golf balls, you take it to a tattoo artist, and they add it to your new tattoo, or they add it to an existing tattoo just by agitating it in the ink. And it stays there forever. Um, it stays in the dermis, and uh, and that's it. it sta- it's it's very sanitary. Our lab is ISO certified. We've been classified by the FDA as a cosmetic, so we're exactly the same requirements as tattoo ink is. And uh, it's pretty powerful. We've had people now have it in their skin for over a year, and they feel different. They touch their arm more. They touch their shoulder more. 
um, they're with their kids more, and uh, it's safe. And and I look forward to uh, to get mine, my first tattoo here in another week or so. Now, as I said, and we're speaking with Boyd Renner, retired Navy SEAL and co-founder of Everance, this new product that allows you to add DNA into the ink of tattoos, DNA of your loved ones, for example. Uh, you know, have you gotten much response from tattoo artists out there? Are there those who are going to be who are saying that they would love to take part in this, love to use it? What has been the response from the artists to Everance? Well, most of the artists, probably 90% of them absolutely love it because they see the value of, uh, of having uh, more customers and they see that they, they know that people get tattoos for one or two reasons, uh, emotional connection or sentimental value. And my, and there's a small percentage that, that it's off the cuff and they just wanted to get something. But for the most part, it's those two reasons. And this product, in my opinion, it adds to that. It adds to that emotional connection or it adds to that sentimental value of that tattoo. Um, like, like I said earlier, I wouldn't be involved in this product or this company if I thought it would be taking jobs away from tattoo artists. So in my heart, I actually believe people like me who have never been exposed to an amazing artist's work will now go into a tattoo shop and say, hey, I want to get my wife's lungs and here's why and please add this safe product to the tattoo. And the tattoo artists, their, their insurance falls right. Their, um, our insurance policy will cover them if anyone has an allergic reaction, which will be incredibly small. Um, they don't even test for this polymer when they do a hip replacement. And our polymer is way less in, in contact than the amount for a hip replacement. There is a small percentage of tattoo artists that, that it's not resonating with yet. And I'm hoping that changes. Uh, tattoo artists in general belong to a very tight-knit community uh, uh, against outside influence, against things that are new. But I'm hoping that changes. I'm hoping that we can actually bring them more work um, in the future. Now, Boyd, going from the Navy, and it's, as we said, 28 years spent both in SEAL Team 2 and DevGrew, over 20 years alone in DevGrew, what have you found to be the differences in going into the business world with Everance? Has, has it been a big transition for you as far as how you operate? I mean, it's obviously a different industry, but how has uh, going into business, what have you learned about it and what has been different about how you used to be able to function in the Navy? Well, two things, and I'm pretty sure they're both common with, with people in the military that have just gotten out. One is you have to learn how to sell yourself a little bit. Um, I spent 28 years without social media or even talking about what I did. No, none of my awards were on the walls. I never wrote a book. You know, I never did a podcast. This is my second. <laughs> and, but as a civilian, especially as a co-founder for a new company, you have to learn to get over that a little bit and be okay with selling yourself and being proud of your service and letting other people know about it. Now, I don't give up any secrets or talk about any, you know, tactics or anything like that, but I've had to learn to share my experiences, my combat experiences, share some awards that I've gotten, just so people understand that our company is, is built around uh, professionals and that, that we're not doing this out of the back of our garage. Um, so that, that's, that was the hardest, is getting over the fact of that. And then the second is just language. I mean, I spoke a certain language. I know you did as well for over 20 years. Everyone understood it. Everyone understood the acronyms. But when you go in the civilian world and you walk into an office and you're telling a lawyer firm or an advertising firm about your product, you have to take a little bit of humble pie and realize you don't know the language they're speaking and they're now the experts in the room. You're not. 
Uh, and that was hard, you know. I've been, you know, as a warrant officer especially, you expect to be in the room and know everything. When I walk into a lawyer's office and we're talking about patents, I, I got to take a step back and say, hey, I got people with me that understand this way better than I do. So those have been my two um, sort of come to Jesus moments about being a military guy and transitioning, uh, selling yourself and learning the right language. Now, looking back at Everance uh, again, have I also heard that along with DNA, it's going to allow people to put other things into this this polymer, basically, that will be able to be added to ink that, where it's not just limited to DNA? Absolutely. Our patent covers sand, water, plants as well. Uh, and as an example, uh, you guys might remember the movie Lone Survivor. Well, what's, what wasn't articulated in that movie was the fact that my unit, me in particular as a senior enlisted there, uh, as senior chief, we had to go recover all those the bodies of the brothers we lost from that crash site. Mm. And for some reason, when the last body flew away, when that helicopter took off and we were getting our brothers home uh, for their families, I took a handful of sand and I put it in my Ziploc bag of, and I had my cargo pocket. It happened to have beef jerky in it, so there might be some cow mixed in with the <laughs> sand. I apologize. But uh, So I've encapsulated the sand, and that is going to be my second tattoo, the sand from Operation Red Wings. Um, from the crash site, from the most important mission I ever did in my life to get my brothers home is going to be in my second tattoo. Uh, I'll hopefully a set of dog tags that has every one of their initials on it. Uh, there'll be sand from that crash site. Um, so yes, to answer your question, we, we have the patents to, to cover all of that. Right now we're going to focus on tattoos and uh, tat, uh, in that community because that's the hardest, frankly. Uh, ensuring that we get the, have the process down, which we do, to extract the DNA uh, and amplify it and purify it. Um, but certainly down the line, we'll be adding it to, we'll be doing sand. We'll be adding this product to jewelry. Uh, this pat product right now can be added to a portrait, a family portrait of all your family's DNA. You just do it the same way as you would with tattoo ink. Uh, so we're looking forward to, to the people out there that don't want anything to do with a tattoo, but they want their loved one DNA with them. And, uh, we've heard of, heard and seen of some pretty amazing things people are already doing with it. Um, I myself put, put a little bit of my DNA in a beautiful necklace I gave my wife for Christmas, and she absolutely loved it. So uh, we're looking forward to it. It's really an absolutely fascinating product. And one of those things where I first heard about it went, huh. And I, I, it almost sounded like science fiction to me, you know, like I, I got my first tattoo. I I was in the Navy and I guess it would have been 1998 or 99 or so during my first year that I was serving. And if this was something that had been available back then, or they had told me it was available, I wouldn't have believed them. What has been the response from the public to this? I know you guys have been featured in various publications. Uh, the New York times has commented on this and so much more. What have people been telling you and given you as far as a reaction for Everance? It's been the same as my reaction was uh, and the same as others. Uh, and that's, that's a way to say it varies. Some people will get it within the first minute and they'll, they'll think about their grandmother that, that, that might be, um, you know, getting prepared for her journey, her next journey because she's sick. Some people might be thinking of their kids they're away from because they're a single dad and they travel a lot. Others like me that's never had a tattoo, it might take four months. So that's been exactly the reaction we've had with the public. Some people just flat out be like, man, that's creepy. I'm not doing it. But then two months later, I'll get an email from them or a post on Instagram, and they'll be like, hey, can you do X, <laughs> Y, and Z? I'll be like, absolutely. So it's been varied, but that's what's so exciting about this. If, if people remember back not too long ago when Uber came out, 
you would have no one would have said they were going to jump and jump in someone's Corolla and go to the airport. Right. You know that took some time. And Airbnb is a good example. No yeah. one thought they would go in someone else's house and share a bedroom and a bathroom for two days in San Francisco. Things take time. Change takes time. Um, and I think this is even more so because it's more personable than those two examples I just gave you. It's it's in the body. It's someone else's genetic makeup. It's going to take time, but that's okay. Uh, that's the way it should be for something personal like this. Uh, you don't want to just go out and say, I'm going to do this and it's cool. You want to really think about what inspires you before you uh, you do that. But but I hope they do because I think it, it, it helps people stay connected. I honestly do. We've been speaking with Boyd Renner, retired Navy SEAL warrant officer over 20 years on DevGrew, that special warfare development group, and co-founder of Everance, this new product that's going to allow you to add your loved one's DNA or other things into your tattoo. Now, Boyd, as we finish up here, we got just a few seconds left. If people are interested in finding out more about Everance, where can they go to find that out? Oh, thanks for asking and thanks for having me. Uh, Everance.life is the website. Website. It's the same hashtag on Twitter and Instagram, um, Everance.life, uh, on Facebook as well. I just found out recently what those three things are. I never knew it before. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've had to learn that new language as well. Uh, but I hope people share their stories at Everance.life on what they might do and go to the website and, and see some of the powerful videos of how uh, my, some of my brothers and some scientists and tattoo artists are already using this product. You've been no, listening to the morning briefing here on C or sorry on Entercom's ConnectingVets.com. See you tomorrow. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.